this episode is about learning. Well, I try to keep it about learning, but a bunch of tangents do inevitably show up. But it's mostly about learning and how it happens in the brain. And I'm joined by Dr. Marine Van Gat. I can never say his last name, so it's just Dr. Marine. <laughs> um, we talk about the brain, how the brain learns, what it's doing when it's learning, etc. Some neurobiology. And I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, I do relate some fairly personal stories. It's just for context. And honestly, I don't have a problem sharing these things with people. So take it take it with a grain of salt. And none of it is advice that I'm trying to tell you. It's just me relating my own experience. Also, I mentioned a quote somewhere in there that says it's something along the lines of, what you do when you don't have to determines what you do when you don't have a choice. It's actually a quote from, I think, Oscar Wilde, who said, it's what you read when you don't have to that determines what you will be when you can't help it. I think it applies in either case, and uh, that's something to think about. All right, that's it. Enjoy this episode. Um, catch you on the next one. Brian. Uresh. Back again. Back again. Here nice. we are. Yeah. This is cool. Like, uh, this is my uh, second recording in person, but uh, I'm I'm glad we could do this, do this live instead of doing it online. Now I can see your face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As I ask you all my pointless questions. But okay. So I already told you what I want to talk about today. Learning, right? Yes. Nice. All right. How do you want to... You can, you can take this any way you want because this is, this is sort of like up to you, but... Uh, how I got in, why I wanted to do this particularly was, uh, I was reading about reinforce, reinforcement learning mm-hmm. in, in computers and machines. Yes. And we had, I have my journal club, uh, which uh, so, we, so the last time we, we spoke about, uh, we discussed the reinforcement learning paper that in, introduced deep reinforcement learning. Okay. So yeah. Which got me like, okay, I need to figure out what the hell, how does this happen? How is this happening in the brain? Mm-hmm. Right. And last time I we talked about lo- dopamine, I feel like it's going to come back. Be the first in this situation, in this in this uh, topic, but uh, definitely. Yeah. All right, up to you. How do you want to do? How do you want to do this? Well, um, maybe we should start with a question. What is learning for? That's a good question. Well, okay, I have the, the first thing that came to mind was uh, how not to fall into pits that you've already fallen into. It's like it's a good one, right? It's like it's like why should we learn? Yes, right. Um, well. I don't know why you why you should be there. You tell me. Well, if we if we go all the way back to um, like cellular organisms living in uh, primordial soup, um, there is a they're navigating in three D space basically, and I have to figure out where should I go to get nutrients, and those are usually detectable by following some sort of gradient, chemical gradient uh, in the water, for example. So basically, any organism that develops a way to sense such a gradient is going to optimize their future stream of income. You know, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but what interesting? Like I recently, I was I was curious about when did we, when did evolution figure out to s- store energy when it found it, right? So like, a meca- when did, how long ago was it that a mechanism for storing energy in terms of fat or some other substrate? evolved and it's like hundreds of millions of years ago like yeah it's like almost almost as soon as life 
emerged it was like holy shit we cannot predict reliably predict where we're going to find the things we're going to find so we're like when you find it we're going to store it somehow you need some storage yeah yeah, yeah. but that's cool the thing anyway sorry well energy is bound in bound up in uh, atomic connections even right so basically making uh, two atoms stick together that is a store of energy which can be released and so if you go to biology uh, the the main store of energy in uh, this current cells basically is uh, ATP uh, adenosine triphosphate mm-hmm. and it gets converted to ADP diphosphate and a uh, and a loose phosphate uh, and releases energy it's called the krebs cycle it's yeah so in the krebs cycle uh, this you can make ATP basically um so with biology, most of the processes are some, somehow reversible, right? So there is a, there's basically a balance between ADP and ATP. And making uh, the process go from ADP to ATP requires energy. So therefore, it's less likely to happen under thermodynamical uh, rules, basically. Um, so we have to put some, we have some, put some energy in there. And that's usually done by burning any kind of sugar or carbohydrate. But if you go f- even further back uh, to plant-based uh, energy store storage, we have to talk about chlorophyll, uh, the green pigment that is capturing sunlight. Basically, as energy storage. Well, I mean, there is, that's where it starts. So the energy comes from the sun, right? In in photons with energy, and that the, that energy of the photons excites certain pigments in plants, and that that energy is then directly sort of transferred. And I don't exactly know how that works but it u- it is used immediately right so that energy cannot be retained if there is no chlorophyll around you cannot hold on to the photons uh, until some later time isn't that crazy right yeah. like like that's nuts right it's like the the fact that evolution figured out a way to use this giant thermonuclear reactor yes <laughs> that is hundreds of thousands of miles away yeah, and he was like, hmm. I mean, it didn't it didn't it didn't go, hmm, but like, <laughs> but he was like, over over a process over millions and billions, billions of years of just like trial and error. Yeah, it was like, this is a good way to do it. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Or at it's least nuts. it's better than all the alternatives yeah, yeah, that yeah. we have tried. Yeah. So imagine what would have happened if our planet didn't have axial rotation, but would be facing the sun always from the same side. Huh. Well, then there's continuous input of yeah, photons. Yeah, 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 yeah. And basically, you could compare it to building an electric vehicle that is directly powered by solar panels rather than a battery inside. Mm, right, 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 right. So as long as the, the sun is still there, you're good to drive. Right. <laughs> if there's a little cloud, I see, I see, yeah. you're stuck. Yeah. And don't try to go under a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's game over for you. So any system that builds in some um, temporal borrowing machinery from itself, basically, is just vastly more adaptive. Mm. If you think about uh, maths or uh, gradient descent, basically, it's a way of getting over um, a local minimum, basically. So you want to have some momentum that allows you to carry carry you to, uh, yeah, to the to the next possibly better point if you run out of energy 
before you get up the hill, you're gonna fall back basically to this position. Now there is a, uh, there is a, so let me digress a little bit. No, no, please go ahead. There is an amazing species. It's I think it's called like uh, um, it's some species of uh, vampiric bat, basically, and um, they are living really at the edge of um, what is uh, possible for uh, a being, because they've optimized their body weight uh, uh, and their capacity to store blood. Uh, to such a level that basically um, if they go without f taking food uh, one or two days, something like that, uh, they die. So they have no mechanism for retaining the energy that they found. They use a lot of energy and basically so they're, they're continuously on this on this hunting cycle. To It's like subsistence farming basically. So there's an absolutely no reserve and if you fail a crop one year, you're done for, right? Okay. That's what we used to be like yeah, yeah. as well. Now, what have they done? Similar to humans agglomerating in a way, uh, these, uh, these vampiric bats, they actually share blood. So if one person of the group or one individual is uh, running a little low, they might go to their friend who has maybe had a successful run and, and take some of their blood, like, basically. Like regurgitate, regurgitate the blood? Or like I don't know exactly how it works. <laughs> like he's like sucked the other dude's blood out. I think they will just uh, yeah. It's like a chain of <laughs> it's like a chain of vampires. Yeah. Oh man. All right. So so what do you need to do that? Well, um, you need some measure of reciprocity, right? So either either it is like a polyamorous free for all between all the bats, and everybody just takes whatever they want all the time, or you want to have a sort of a system for keeping a reputation. So who has given me some blood in the past and who do I owe some blood to in the future? And we talked about this in the decision-making uh, part of the, of the course. Um, that requires like uh, then a whole social brain to develop and to keep track of these reputations and to detect who is a trustworthy partner, basically. Well, if you're just working with energy inside your own body, you don't need to keep track of uh, who is a trustworthy liver or anything. You just have one, and that's the one that you get. Um, so, um, yeah, make, building up a store of, of energy basically allows you to um, take bets on the future. Mm. And you can exploit a bit more, and uh, sorry, explore a bit more rather than just exploit. And this relates to, for example optimal foraging theory uh, which tells um, assume that they're your uh, let's say you're um, a bear and you're fishing uh, uh, salmon from a from a from a river mm -hmm. and you figure out that after a while they're running out basically so you're still investing the same amount of energy but the return is uh, diminishing so at some point, there's probably an optimal point for you to stop fishing this particular river and maybe go somewhere else and try your luck there. But that is a uh, risky choice. And you're basically changing between exploiting your current situation to exploring the the space of opportunities. Right. Okay. Yeah, this is a thing I could talk to you about for a while. Exploration versus <laughs> exploitation. But yeah, go on, go on. Well, so, and, and it basically, um, the level of um, storage that you can muster um, necessarily dictates how much exploration you can do. 
right? How quickly do you need to get back to your home base uh, before you yeah, run out or die, obviously? Hmm. That's cool. But like also, I mean, I guess, I mean, is it also depending on the environment? So like you feel like an elephant, mm-hmm. right? And you can eat pretty much anything around you. Like, I don't know if it, like, I mean, most, yeah, they can eat more. Herbivores can eat pretty much any plant, right? Right. I'm sure, I'm sure there are some plants that are like, like they have chemical irritants to keep them from eating whatever. Sure. But if you sort of have learned that your environment is basically com- completely abundant, yeah, then you can go by without having much of a storage thing and just like learn how to wander around and... I'm saying it'll increase your range of how far you can go around looking for things. Yeah. Well, if we take a look at um, human cultural evolution, I think that once you have food stability in place, it allows you to specialize because not every member of the tribe needs to be concerned with food gathering. And basically you have a surplus as a collective. And the people who are not specializing in hunting or gathering they uh, trust their tribe to provide for them because they're specializing in something else. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's like, what animal, so, okay. So the learning, okay, I think, so should there be, should there be a distinction made between the learn, kind of learning that humans do and the kind of learning that uh, uh, other animals do? Well, this is the super interesting question, right? Because we know that the, the basic neural machinery is more or less the same. And we're just building more complex evaluative mechanism on top of it to, for example, consider reputation. You cannot see somebody's reputation. You have to retrieve it from memory. Remember all the interactions you had. Weigh them against maybe some moral background that you have. You know, not all actions are equal given the circumstances. And that requires a lot of yeah, neural machinery to, to figure out. But in the end, what you're doing, you're sort of biasing uh, your uh, behavior towards one or another alternative based on this information. So the learning is why we are why we should learn. I guess is part of it is like part of the, part of the reason is to how to know who to trust, like mm-hmm. how to like how to keep track of like what's happening in the sense that like how, how secure is my future yes basically yes so that is like a survival uh perspective which um in the context of like cultural learning and the way that we have set up society is maybe not super relevant to think about but definitely super relevant when you think about how evolution shaped our neural systems but I wrote something down here that uh, is at the end of my notes, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. I thought it could be interesting to come back to yeah, at yeah. some point. For sure. But it's actually relevant right now. Because have you heard of uh, Carl Friston? No. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Psychologist. Yeah, he's an, he is a neuroscience psychologist, philosopher. I, I feel like I've... Uh, hold on. Can I just... Oh, it's already closed. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was open. Anyway, uh, I, I feel like I listened to a podcast with this guy he is uh, he was on with um, Lex Lex Fri- yes Lex I knew it yeah yeah, yeah I can't really remember that but like yeah yeah, yeah. so Carl Friston is um, 
he developed a theory which uh, he now applies to everything. As <laughs> oh, as, as, as you uh, have a good theory, yeah, 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 yeah. Like classic. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it's basically a principle. So it's called the free energy principle, and his um, idea is that what brains in general are doing is reducing surprise. Right. Okay. That would make sense. Yes. I th- I think so too, but why does it make sense to you? Okay. Well, I mean, I I guess the premise here that is that the brain is basically pre- is a predicting machine, right? Yes. It's just it's just constantly predicting what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, your reality is sort of a prediction like a like a a creation of your the prediction that your brain's making about what's happening around you yes. based on the input that it's that, that it's getting. Yes. Okay. Well, so why is it important? Basically, the question is: if you basically what that means is, if you you are just predicting stuff, surprise mm-hmm. means that you're predicting wrong. Yes. Right. Yeah. And then you want to minimize the difference between what you predicted and the surprise that you get. Yes. Okay. And why would you want to do that? Well, possibly because uh, surprise could may mean that something is now radically different in the world and not in a good way, right? So a flood or maybe. A solar flare or something that really radically changed your input, and now you have to do something else. Man, solar flares. Yeah. Sorry, random tangent, but like this, I was, I've been thinking about, I thought about this, I've been thinking about this for some reason. I don't know why, right? As if I don't have enough shit to worry about. Yeah. But like, you know, we all, we are like, we're, we're on the, we're like absorbed solving other problems. Like, you know, like we have AI problems, health problems, environmental problems, right? Like, all of that. All these problems are good, but we're sort of like not thinking about this thing that could happen, right, right. <laughs> and just like put a stop to pretty much every everything that's modern, like that's modern, right? Like a solar flare hits, takes out every all the all yeah. the electronics. big EMP wave, everything yeah. is everything. All dies. our money, yeah. all of the Bitcoin, all of the all these, all your credit, everything is just God. That would be nuts. But anyway, sorry. You have to talk to another expert on that yeah, one, yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why I brought up this, ta- brought up this tangent, but like, uh, anyway. Well, um, yeah. let's, uh, let's, um, let's, you know, there, there's a couple of uh, really um, useful analogies from the domain of visual illusions, for example. So one of them is, for example, the, um, the waterfall illusion. So if you stare at the waterfall mm-hmm. uh, going down, basically, yeah. and then you shift your eyes, and whatever you look at now seems to me- be moving up because you're... Um, neural system has adapted to this particular uh, pattern of motion. Yeah, I took uh, computer vision with last semester, so spent a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of time staring at stripes. Yeah, it's great, right? So <laughs> it actually, um, uh, apparently, even ver- relatively quickly. So this this illusion takes place in a matter of seconds. Relatively quickly, you can learn to expect a particular pattern of motion in your environment, and actually sort of stabilize your perception to account for that the same happens when you're in a train and you try to watch outside for example so our brain in that instant is basically trying to filter out this motion because it's now part of the expected input right so we're minimizing the surprise because this is now apparently how the world works the same goes for the fact that we expect things to have edges and depth and uh, mass, etc. Uh, you can have this illusion where you, where it looks like something is really heavy and it's not, 
and your muscles are actually already attenuating to it like this is uh i guess this is like sort of so i've been also reading i've been getting curious about quantum mechanics right mm -hmm. uh, which is basically probably the most counterintuitive subject that you can possibly do because it's because it's so far removed from our everyday uh anthem like uh, our physical experience that it's kind of hard to hard to see reality that way so uh, i i guess you know, who was the guy who was at uh, like i think it's hofstetter hofstetter yeah, yeah. It was like uh, we basically see what we need to see to survive was, it, was that him i think it was him but like our perception of the environment is a product of evolution for billions of years right yes so if we don't we've never had to deal, worry about what quarks what quark up quark and down quarks are doing right apparently not Appar yeah. <laughs> apparently not apparently not exactly so we don't know if it, but, but like um uh it's just, uh, super weird so like i don't know why i got all this tension but anyway the point was that your environment you sort of you learn what you have to learn about the environment yes to minimize the prediction error and we call this this the statistical regularity of the world so basically you learn what spatial frequencies electromagnetic frequencies to expect in terms of light you know, we don't see infrared we don't see uh, ultraviolet it would be useful to see it maybe in some cases but not in the general sense of the world so it's weird like we've we've sort of developed this ability now to put things in our environment that we just don't expect it we we just we, we just not built to expect right? yeah that's weird that's a weird thing it's yeah. like like we, we are, for example our environment is full of electromagnetic waves that mm -hmm. we created yeah on top of the solar yeah. the general universe vibe yeah but we don't we don't perceive any of those things uh, we need a sensor of some sort yeah i'm waving my phone around yeah. <laughs> to be able to, to perceive the things that you've put into the environment. Yeah. So you probably know that if you use your your phone uh it actually s allows you to see infrared. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, And so this brings me back to uh, Commander Jordi LaForge Star Trek Next Generation. It's, it's been a, I mean, I know this is <laughs> you're real, before your time. <laughs> you're, age, you're really aging yourself here. Yeah. But god. So he had a kind of a visor which yeah. allowed him to see the EM spectrum fully. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, there's no reason why your retinal implants, if you need them, shouldn't be equipped with also sensors that extend to further into the EM field. Why would you want to see all the EM waves? Because it's cool. It is cool. I guess you could see like, you know, one thing that really surprised me is that like we actually emit light. Yeah. Like, 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 because you don't think about it, right? But living things emit heat. Heat. Which is yeah. electromagnetic radiation. Yeah. Which is light, right? Yes. So it's like we actually like glowing things just walking around. It's pretty, I mean, at some level, it's and your you, immortal soul. Yeah, and then you put the <laughs> put devices on, you can actually see the body heat and stuff. Yeah. Um, well, we already have that in warfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Like, um, uh, okay, that's pretty nuts. But yeah, learning. learning right? Yes. All right. Yes. So learning is basically um, evolution's way of trying to um, select actions. I talked about that. Um, and this idea of the free energy principle is that it's basically uh, considers the brain as a Bayesian process and it's trying to match its distribution of internal states to best represent uh, the distribution of external states to minimize surprise. 
So like And also I guess uh, Could this be driven by Just a purely Energy efficien- efficiency Yes Thing Right So single neurons Right They actually regulate Their own input And this is usually Happens because They send out um, If they get a lot of drive So they get a lot of input They're They're, they're passing this on Initially But there's usually like a side connection, a collateral, that goes to an interneuron locally, which then inhibits the same cell. Right. So they're auto-regulating their own input. And this is super flexible uh, because if the the cell that is being driven doesn't fire, it doesn't activate the interneuron and the, dr- the inhibitory drive on that cell decreases. So if it hasn't been active for a while, you could say it's actually primed to become active. All right. Interesting. It's it's a what's the word? A thermostatic uh, uh, regulation, basically. Oh, nice. That's crazy. And that is, of course, energy efficient, in a way, because if you're being constantly driven to your maximum um, firing capacity, it uses up a lot of ATP, uh, uses up uses up a lot of energy. You pull this thing close to your a little bit, just like pull that thing, and just like turn the. Uh, yeah, there you go. Like That's this. Your, yeah, yeah. All right, sitting back. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so it, it even happens at this very basic level of uh, a single neuron or a single circuit, cortical circuit, basically, trying to regulate its own activity. And that's the first step of um, adapting to a change in the environment. So I read this, uh, I, I didn't read the study, but I was. Ref- I, was re- I, re- I remember being referenced to the study once where um, they basically measured the energy consumption of people learning to play learning to play Tetris or some game. Right. Uh, they watched the glucose uptake. Yep. And the better they got at it, the less glucose the brain, the, the brain used because presumably it takes energy to build that. So what has been, okay, oh wait, wait, wait. Okay, this is good. What is being built there? It's not like a physical connection, is it? Or it's just like a, like what is the substrate that is being reinforced and modulated? Yeah. So if you look at the, the structural changes in the brains of people who are like world-class athletes, they actually do have more neurons devoted to parts of the cortex that control motion. Okay. But also they have more um, connections, basically, in that space. So in a way, this uh, learning of expertise, right, is something that takes uh, more than a single session. So there is um, repetition and consolidation involved. And this actually uh, is translated on a, in a biological level to more synapses or more efficient synapses. So synapses, connections between neurons. This is basically the hardware, yeah. So uh, like a physical change in the number of connections, exactly. connections between neurons. Yeah. Wow. So, and that is energetic, right? It, 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 I'm assuming it's energetically demanding. Like you need, you need it, it takes more energy to do like a whole change than it is to just like keep working on the same, same parts that you already have. Yeah, so um, if you want to um, learn a new uh, difficult motion, initially 
the circuits that are supporting this motion and in and the integration of the uh, all of the muscle movements for example just are oh no, hold on. just like just tilt it down a bit there like this yeah. Oh, yeah so it's like it's super finicky these mics because like it picks directly what's in front of it yeah and then it's like everything else is like nope i'm done with that that's good that's good yeah, yeah. all right cool <laughs> okay so um Imagine, so all of these mo motions are very complex and they involve a lot of muscles and uh, sequencing and organization. And um, you can you can do all the things individually, but it's a little bit more difficult if you're up in the air, basically. Mm -hmm. You might be doing a triple uh, uh, flip or something. So in order to get that uh, sequence programmed in, um, you basically need to uh, drive a groove in your brain that um, links all of these... Uh, neural representations together and by repeating it over and over and over again you strengthen those connections uh, that you need right which is so now that's habit learning yeah 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 but like it's hard right like this is why learning things is uh, I mean I feel like this is one of the reasons why learning things is so difficult because it feels difficult right I mean learning things doesn't feel easy um Learning, I, th I think we have to make a distinction between like declarative knowledge, so facts, no, okay, and uh, procedural knowledge, which is habits or riding your bike, for example. The way that you, I, I think you probably have this experience of being able to drive your bike without your holding it, holding with your hands, yeah, yeah, and actually also probably with thinking about a million other things and only well, with driving. I can, I can drive like, and like I mean, I'm a great driver, yeah. But I don't think about driving. No. I can like I can listen to music, I listen to Completely automatized. Yeah, it's a new yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah. And that's because you've been doing it a lot, basically. And uh, much of this knowledge is now uh, habitual. And you've learned very well to predict the input of the environment, which includes other drivers, the weather, um, all of these things. Whenever, of course, the combination of other drivers and the weather becomes a little bit extreme, now suddenly you have to pay attention because... There's a lot of surprise yeah, in like, the world, and you're learning a lot of a lot of what you're learning is what to ignore, right? Yep. Like, uh, so when you're driving, so this, so this is something I, I had this conversation with. Uh, I think it was Andre. I can't. Remember. I have a I have a lot of strange conversations. With Andre comes up a lot in this pod <laughs> podcast. Shout I keep, out to Andre. Shout, shout out to Andre because I keep uh, asking. He keeps asking me like weird questions. Yes. Like, <laughs> um, so like um, the reason why so. When sometimes when I'm when I'm when I'm crossing the road, right? Mm -hmm. There's clearly no vehicle around. Yes. Right. But it's still it's red. Yeah. And I don't cross. I try not to. Right. Mm -hmm. And Andrew, I think he asked me like, "Yo, just let's just cross. Like, what's the big deal?" And I was like, and then and then I try to tell him like, part of what makes the road safe for me and for other people is that the person driving is sort of doing it automatically a big part of it automatically yes right so he's trying really hard he's not i mean the person is trying really hard to make a lot of things irrelevant yeah right so if everyone can trust that when it's when it's green i can go and no one's gonna jump into it it makes the whole driving process much easier for everybody yeah and conversely once they've trained that they're not going to see you cross even if even if you're wearing a bright red, I mean, they might see you, but like yeah. the brain is just trained to focus on that one thing, that one signal that makes the entire process easier. The Definitely. Brain, and yeah. the br brain just uses the 
path of least resistance. It's like, oh, that gets me the answer. Like, I'm gonna go down that way. Like neural net, new, like neural net, neural networks for computer vision are interesting like this. Like if you take a pixel, take take one pixel, and you yeah. code the right label into just that one pixel, it'll ignore everything else and just learn that one pixel and then get it wrong. Even if you just remove, if you remove, it'll you, you can have this small huge network. Yeah, yeah. And remove that one little pixel, and it's like nope, no idea what this is. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the the charm of these adversarial examples as well, right? So you change a little bit, and now suddenly it's a different class, and that would never happen with a human brain, basically, yeah, or a human observer. Say. Yeah, I think it's mostly because our uh, all of our neurons have a pretty broad tuning curve, so they respond to a lot of input that is similar to its perf- preferred input, whereas in neural networks you can have a very very uh, narrow uh, uh, driving input, basically. Yeah, but can, if you think about the range of stimuli that we get is nuts right like we for example when the light is on or like the sun's out right now yeah we perceive it as a constant and it's definitely not it's definitely not constant right? the amount of photons is is like orders of magnitude different yeah it's changing like second yeah. to second to second to second but, yeah. but we perceive it as nice smooth smooth constant that's cr- yeah. like, the amount of work that the brain puts into making our environment seem constant and nice and smooth it's nuts. Yes. It's a lot of work. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Props to the brain. Yeah, for real. So I um, last time we talked about the, re- the reward prediction error. Yes. Uh, it's a signed uh, level of su- surprise or mismatch, basically. So it can be better than expected or worse than expected. And people correlate this to dopamine. But earlier learning theories um, were based on behavioral experiments. And there was a lot of competing uh, ideas in that space. And one of them that I want to highlight is what's called is the Pierce-Hole theory of surprise. Now, surprise, uh, in that sense, is just the reward prediction error, but then in the absolute, right? So mm-hmm. whether it's negative or positive, right, right, right. just Doesn't take matter, the absolute. Yeah. And the only thing that matters is the deflection. Yeah. And the idea was that this deflection of this surprise triggers uh, uh, triggers a learning state in the brain so that the brain by being encountered by encountering surprise now changes its internal state to become more uh, teachable so mm. oh that's interesting yes. because we know that learning happens uh, when you have sort of like a you learn faster, like when you're when you're in a heightened emotional state, in mm-hmm. a sense, like when you have uh, when you have a re- like a like like a, a signal where it's like okay, this is super unexpected. Yeah, we should probably try to figure out what the hell happened here. Well, there's an optimum because if something is considered uh, super anomaly, then it does, it's not that useful. Why? Why is that? Um, because if you learn for each. Uh, anomaly, then you're basically learning instances rather than uh, pattern or oh, gradient. I see, I see. Yeah. Right. But um, my favorite example is basically uh, when you're going from uh, a regime uh, where there's little, relatively low surprise to a regime where there's little, relatively high surprise. And you can think of this basically by going, visiting a country that you never visited before. So most of the things are still the same. The sun is out. People may be driving a car, but everything else is different, right? And 
things that you consider uh, fixed in your in your home environment might be not fixed at all in the situation where you are. So, if you would be um, uh, if you would yeah, so if you would use um, the absolute size of your reward predictions to uh, update your nervous system, there is a quite a big chance that you're going to override whatever <laughs> you learned over the last 20 years yeah. because you're just all over the place yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the rewards, uh, the, the, yeah, the, 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 the errors, the surprise is just too big. So is that useful? Probably not. When you're in a situation uh, uh, where your um, uh, uncertainty, basically, is high, so in uncertainty is like uh, correlated to surprise, I think, right? Um, when your uncertainty is high, then it um, pays off to dampen your learning rates a little bit. So basically, you're now in an in a regime where you're expecting to be surprised all yeah, of the yeah, time. Yeah. So like this is like a signal signal to noise ratio ratio problem. Exactly. Right? Like, what 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 need you, what should you pay pay attention to versus what shouldn't you pay attention to? Yeah, yeah. And there's a there's a thought that, for example, serotonin is involved in uh, signaling this uh, level of uh, uncertainty, uh, and maybe uh, noradrenaline as well. Yeah. Whereas the dopamine is still more related to uh, signaling the individual uh, events as they happen, basically. Nice. I I wanted to ask you about the relationship between acetylcholine and dopamine. Um, they have, they have a they play a from what I know they play an important role in lear learning in, like if I can remember correctly sort of acetylcholine marks marks the things that needs to be learned and then dopamine goes in and reinforces reinforces these things I don't know something very loose and terrible like that <laughs> but um, uh, this is like actually I'm so this is like, I have a good series of conversations coming up so after I talk to you about this. I'm talking to Giacomo about reinforcement learning in machines. And yes. then I'm talking to Doug Peter Hendricks about information theory. Great. Because like I want to yeah. get an information theory, theoretic understanding of like what it means to be surprised. Yeah. Right? And why shouldn't you be surprised? Because surprising information is, inf is informative, right? Uh, once you are surprised, you should do something with it. Yeah. Right. But basically the goal of the brain is to be not surprised. According to Friston, that's crazy. I mean, do you think that's how 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 uh, how? What do you think about that? Like, makes it feels like it makes sense to me. Well, in a, in our highly sort of structured world, um, I think that you can bring this to a to a level of non surprise that is actually boring, mm. and um, y there is evidence that people are auto regulating the level of surprise that they want to want to encounter in the world. Uh, up to yeah, the level that is appropriately stimulating for their brain. Hmm, that's yeah, that, that, that's we, we've talked about this last yeah, yeah, time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. People who are seeking out um, uh, danger or um, at least uh, adrenaline, maybe. Um, the thing is, you don't yeah, like you said, like, like you you don't want surprise in all your domains, right? You want surprise in certain certain domains. You don't want surprise in you like <laughs> you don't want to go home and find that your house is gone. No. <laughs> fair enough fair enough yeah right but some domains you actually want to be surprised like music 
You know, like, yes. like it's like, oh, I want to see something, something different, something cool. Yeah, so you can put yourself in a vulnerable state, basically, where you're um, playing maybe with your own expectations a little bit, and you're you're making yourself ready to be surprised. Okay, there so is something this nice. is okay. I'm not sure if I say, if I should say this on recording, but I don't care. All right, doesn't matter. But like, so every six months or so, I'll eat some mushrooms, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yes. Some truffles, and the way I think about it is like. I, I've reinforced this. I think of it as a as a period of increasing my, like sort of, uh, like a like a random restart, restructuring of my learned patterns of behavior. Yes. So because okay, how I got how I got into this practice was because I was suicidal and suicidally depressed for a while, and. I was. I think it was like my last year of uni- of university in the in the U- U- U.S. You should put a trigger warning here. I think, right? Yeah. Well, if anyone's been listening to any of my other episodes, like it's it's too late. <laughs> but okay, I was because I'm pretty open about this. I I, I I have no problem talking about this because like if anyone can uh, derive some sort of. Uh, by the way, I'm not recommending this to anybody. This is not. I'm not a medical doctor. That I'm not making any recommendations. I'm just conveying my experience, right? Yes. Be that you do with that what you will, uh, and I'm pretty open, so I have no problem sharing about this. Uh, but I've been dealing with this for 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 a long time, and one of the things I realized when I was when I was like it was really bad was that I was stuck in these loops of the of perception uh, cognitively like perceiving something then assessing what happened and then reacting to that thing yes i realized that at some point i was stuck just doing these same loop over and over and over and over again Mm -hmm. and the psychedelics sort of helped me realize that like I know this seems normal to most people, but for me to realize that I don't have to think this way, right, was huge, because like it never occurred to me. Like it never, because if you're de- if you're like depressed like that, it just doesn't occur to you, because like your your brain is just not an option that appears to you mm. in uh, the realm of doing stuff. Like there's a great game called Depression Quest. It's a web it's a web based like a text based game yeah. where you sort of live the life of someone who's who's depressed. Right. And what you and what they show you is like, um, so you're like they give you a thing that's happening or you feel really sad. Uh, I don't I don't feel like doing anything, right? Yeah. And they have a bunch of options like, oh, change my perspective, just suck it up, get it done. Um, like talk to a friend. All of those are crossed out. Like you can't select them because they just they're just not options, right? Right. So, so when I when I got myself in the state, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like I don't have to think this way, right? Mm-hmm. And and you don't need a purple uh, rabbit to tell you that. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. You don't have to like, you, no. like, 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 like. You don't have to like. Uh, and and then I did CBT. Yeah. And then like a bunch of like, uh, I mean, I have actual therapists to help me. Of course, <laughs> good for you, yeah. right? And like, um, uh, and I was really lucky that. So I know people who uh, go to therapy for years, and they. For, so I tried psychologists first. Yeah, I mean, super helpful, super useful, and then I just didn't. I like I needed. She recommended that I see a psychiatrist to try to get some uh, chemical assistance. Yes, 
I was really lucky because my psychiatrist is great and like he just find, managed to find the right combination of things that works for me. Yes. I know people spend years trying to find just the right combination, right dosage and right psychiatrist to help them figure out, like to get out of this situation they're in, right? Yes. Um, so, a couple of perspectives. Yeah. Right? One of the things you mentioned, uh, you, you got uh, antidepressants, which are neurochemicals which do something with the chemical balance in your brain. Right? And this obviously has effects on your internal state, your internal model, which then can, re can basically reinterpret uh, your external stimuli in a different way and get you out of this rut mm -hmm. on one way. What are the alternatives to this? It's things like transcranial magnetic stimulation mm -hmm. or electric convulsive therapy. And all of these treatments have in common that they are basically trying to reset or re shake up your neural circuitry that is processing the same stimuli and the same social interactions over and over in the same way right so it is like the depressed brain in some way is an attractor network which uh, is self-reinforcing because you're also shutting out uh, positive social stimulation yeah. for example and you get you get sort of in in this uh, in this yeah deep well that is pretty difficult to get out from without a restart. It's like a it's like a it's like a pathologization of this brain's awesome ability to minimize, uh, like to use as little energy as possible. Yeah. So it's just like it's like stuck in this loop that keeps like oh it's, this is great. Like it thing is it doesn't it's not it's not able to. So how does it know that, like, okay, this is a loop I should get out of or this is a loop I should stay in? Well, every once in a while, somebody tells you, right? Mm -hmm. That's true. And we're not completely, we're not creatures that are completely driven by stimulus response associations. We just rely on them a lot. And sometimes it takes someone to give you another perspective or uh, to make you reflect. And temporarily, this can this can access, you know, memories of happiness or whatever you you need to visualize basically a different um, a different you and you can try to work towards that so friston says you can if there is an if there is a mismatch you can try to change your internal model to now update your stimuli that are incoming or you just choose different stimuli to update your model uh, to to basically match your model so you can think of this as someone being in a very bad environment, recognizing this and actually trying to change the environment because they don't want to change their internal models. So I took an evolutionary psychology class last semester. Mm -hmm. uh, I have mixed feelings about that class. Yeah, it's a good. It, it was nice when it was. I don't know. It was hard to tell where the science started and the politics began. Yep, it's so, a lot of post hoc ideas, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, mm -hmm. well. But like, as far as I could look back and look at actual papers, like there was some good stuff. Like one thing, how your life, your early, your early life environment, mm -hmm. sort of trains your brain to expect to expect certain things to happen, definitely, and, and expect certain things to not happen. Yeah, and um, that was uh, that was pretty interesting to think. And like, so I maybe think about certain kinds of behaviors that I have that I sort of. It gave me a context to think about. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I had a like I had a really good. 
I I had what I perceived to be a good childhood, right? Like I don't yes. I never I never thought about it. Like my parents did everything they could for me, which is awesome. And then I was like thinking, okay, well, certain behaviors seem ridiculous to me. Why do I do this, right? Like for example, I will like my relationship with food has always been really weird. Uh and I don't know if that was because there was a time in my childhood where we, we, we didn't have a lot of money mm-hmm. and like we had to like it was like, it was rough i mean it wasn't bad it was just like you know it was pretty really tight yeah and i can't tell if but, but i don't remember that remember it i don't remember it overtly as being bad mm-hmm. right or like difficult but yeah. i wonder if it's like something that i've learned somewhere right because for example I've had to come up with a strategy so that like I am not eating all the time. Yes. In a weird way it's like I can't stop eating just cuz I feel full. Yeah. Right? And and I was like what the hell is this, right? Yeah. But now now I have a strategy which is like I I only eat from this time to this time and then I'm done. Yeah. And that helps me a lot. Yeah. And I was like okay, well maybe in my environment I learned something where it's like you eat when you have food cuz you have no idea when the next when the next meal is going to show up. Well, think back to the the vampiric bats, right? So, so if you have a good meal, you should feast on it, basically, because you don't know how long you're gonna be without until your next meal. Mm-hmm. And in, in the human nervous system, there is these uh, neuropeptic, uh, peptidergic, or hormonal uh, pathways uh, involving ghrelin uh, and, and others that basically mediate your your uh, sense of satiety and hunger. And those are um also uh, uh released uh, in the bloodstream through nervous connections with the uh, hypothalamus and uh, uh the pituitary gland so they're subject to learned connections oh right nice. okay. so particular uh sensory inputs or sensory configurations can in in some people trigger a massive uh, like hunger or uh, feeling, for example, and these can also be internal, right? So the the feeling of having just eaten, for example, <laughs> like I, I certain things like uh, I don't drink anymore. Yeah, but uh, the smell of apple flavored alcohol just makes me want to like like it's just an immediate. Through like a like a like a like a like a like a like the like a vomit reaction. Like it's oh, like yeah. it's like I can't, because I like, have, I have exactly the same reaction. It's just terrible. There was too much of it at uh, some point. Yeah, yeah. For, exactly. Way yeah. too much of it. Like yeah. like all these flavored things. Like I can't I can't even stand being stand being around them. So this is called uh, conditioned taste aversion mm-hmm. in uh, the literature, <laughs> and it, it's actually been studied a lot because um, uh, the funny thing is is that you have updated your mental model of how valuable this particular uh, flavor is because it was paired with illness, in my case, maybe mm-hmm. in your case as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now the next time you are um, uh, considering taking an action that might lead to this particular outcome, now also the uh, memory of this illness is being reactivated. So this is called outcome devaluation, something that you thought was very valuable has has been paired with a negative outcome and its incentive value has been decreased a lot man this is so like i want to ask you is it possible to be addicted to somebody 
I think it's that's a very difficult question. So uh, like okay maybe like, okay let's 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 try to define addiction. Like what yeah. is what, what what do we consider addiction? Is generally negatively connotated, right? Yeah, so addiction is basically uh, uh, defined as having a negative impact on your social functioning due to the fact that you're consistently obsessed and planning to obtain this particular thing that you're addicted to. Okay. So it is mostly defined in terms of social dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is like so like this is <laughs> this is interesting because like this is basically a therapy session like Lex <laughs> as for himself. Let's go there. Yeah. yeah. Right? I'm taking I'm taking after him uh, quite a bit here. Because like I've had a cuz I I've been thinking about like why certain relationships are to me super engaging and i like i really like pulls my uh like motivation the yeah. same way video games do yeah but i've had in my experience those relationships were the worst for me mm-hmm. and for the people around me right yeah. but they were hyper motivating and they were like they hit the same this they felt like they hit the same buttons like you know when one of the one of the one of the one of the most one of the feelings that i love is not solving a programming problem but being just like just close you know like like not like you like can b- smell, it. smell it like being so <laughs> close that you can smell the solution yeah that like that feeling is is this mix of frustration and enjoyment that you know i could keep working on like i don't i don't need a break i don't need to stop i can just keep working on this 8 hours all day right cuz it keeps driving me forward keeps pulling you keeps, it's like it's like it's like dopamine it's like hey it's over here come on come on keep coming yeah it's the same feeling i get with certain relationships well this is i mean we're we're getting out of my comfort zone a little bit okay but um if you think about um, the sort of the patterns of behavior that uh, are common with people with uh, borderline uh, personality disorder, for example, it revolves around giving out intermittent rewards and creating a highly variable and unstable environment, which can initially seem very attractive yep. because you're now in a in a high st- more high stakes and more surprising environment, but long term, this uh, is destructive. That would that's it's very good characterization of <laughs> of what I'm what I've what been what I was experiencing because yes. like the 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 range of responses the the distribution of responses that I get from these people is so vast. Yes, that I I like it's like. They like something today, and then I'll repeat the behavior the next day, and they'll be, they'll be completely appalled by it. And I'm like, yeah, what? And the problem is that this puts you in uh, so a high variable uh, learning state, which also affects the rest of your life, where you're considered to be functioning in a stable environment, right? So if you're, um, I mean, this is generalizing a lot, but you would be probably be keen or prone to uh, project the same expectations on your coworkers and maybe react quite um, uh, disproportionately to the same kind of input. Yeah, so now I'm very careful about sort of like the training examples that I give my brain. 
Yeah. I take care of my I take care of my brain much better than I used to. That's good for you. You know, like it's like because uh, like I'm like okay, man, I can't be like I don't know. Like for most people, like uh, there was a time in my life where I sort of getting up and doing anything was just like was out of the question. Yeah. It, was, it was like why should I do, why why yeah. am I even here? Like what does it even matter, right? Yeah, and I realized like. I have to take care of the environment to a certain degree mm-hmm. to keep me from like going back. Because like for me, uh, I mean, everyone has their problems, right? Everyone, everyone has has a freaking bullshit burden to carry in life. That's 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 it. I understand that, right? So like you have to sort of, I had to sort of build systems around me that help me do these things, right? So yes. For example, I give myself a certain number of hours a week, uh, a certain number of hours a day to do productive work things. Yeah. And the moment that it hits, I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'm not allowed to do anything else. Because mm-hmm. like, the, I, I've had to negotiate with myself and compromise with, with the part of me that's like, let's just sit around and watch Netflix all day, every day. Yeah, or be coding 24-7. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. So like, I'm like, okay, no. Like, so yesterday, I wanted to keep working so bad and I was like, man, like, I'm almost done. Like, come on. And I was like, no, it's too late. Yeah. You pick up, pick it up tomorrow. Yeah. So you're basically homeostatically auto-regulating in, in a way that works for you. And I think it's great. And, um, obviously people can push themselves here and there. Right. But, um, um, I think it's probably healthy to make sure that you do, uh, push yourself towards a regime where most things are predictable. And in this, this includes, for example, uh, stable social interactions. Yeah, it's hard to be around super volatile people. Like, especially like, depending on like I, I like to have things like. I don't know. I guess I like to have things fairly. It's weird because like, I'll, I will, allocate a certain part of my time. Yeah. To allow random things to happen. Yeah. But it has to happen <laughs> in that time. Yes. Right. Yes. And then, like, I need some 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 semblance of, like, stability. Yeah. And it helps. I remember we talked earlier about uh, in class actually about sort of diminishing marginal returns. So anything that you take over and over again, uh, if you get more of it, basically the diminishing the the returns that you get from it are diminished. So there is a there's a benefit in variety because it gives you this initial uh, boost, basically. Um, but in order to uh, to sample a variety of rewards in your environment, you have to have a lot of uh, uh, you know flexible strategies, and that goes against exploitation. So it requires more energy to do that. So obviously there is an energetic, but also a motivational optimum somewhere where you have a couple of strategies that give you this baseline of what you need, and on top of that there is a flexible layer. Where you can get some, sometimes you get a real nice high, and sometimes maybe it's uh, you know you're bummed out for a week. Yeah. Can happen. Uh, but recognizing that and auto-regulating that, I think, is uh, a life skill. For sure, man. Like teaching teaching a brain what to expect is like a full-time job. It's like. Yeah, well, th- th- luckily it teaches itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank God, it's really good. It's at that. not supervised. This yeah, is yeah, all yeah. unsupervised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and all of these homeostatic ex- aspects are maybe 
driven by energy efficiency, but they also teach us basically teach us. They let us experience uh, stability, and um, uh, yeah, it, it basically it allows planning, right? So if everything is random all the time, how can you do any planning? There's no there's no there's no sense. I uh, highly recommend for anyone listening to read uh, the molecule of more. I don't know if you've heard of it. But it's just about like dopamine. Just it's a book about dopamine and like and serotonin and uh, um, so like the rest and like rest and relax chemicals versus like the go get stuff. People think dopamine is about feeling good, but it's actually about motivation, motivation, right? Making you go do things. It's the opioids that are about making you feel good. Mm-hmm. So. Um, revisiting the benefit of uh, shaking up your brain. Uh, This is exactly what psychedelics do. So basically they change the functional connectivity in your brain, allowing like uncharted connections between brain regions to be activated. And this usually transforms to like transcendental experiences or, you know, uh, unexpected insights. Uh, Possibly because these, uh, yeah, these are relatively new connections that are being facilitated at that point. Uh, still using the same neural hardware, but because like all of the traffic lights are in different colors, uh, suddenly this is possible. Yep. Obviously, you don't want to live in that state forever. I was about to say, yeah. like, it's not a it's not a livable state. But like, no. uh, there's like there seems to be. Isn't it weird that? Well, is is it weird that our brain is brain has the. I guess it's not that weird. It's just it's just a the the it's just a chemical key in a different lock, right? Yeah, you can short circuit short circuit anything, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and mostly most of the time you destroy things if you do that. But in the brain, because all of the input is auto regulated, if you switch one highway from, it's like mini motorways basically. You know, if you know the game, but you yeah. can basically move a highway all of a sudden, and it is fast has a vast impact on the 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 traffic, the flow basically in your brain. But the brain is very good at protecting itself. However, there's also a connection with uh, PTSD and, for example, EMDR therapy for people who are suffering from trauma. Because they interpret particular sensory input over and over uh, in a negative way, and this heightens their vigilance, heightens their emotional response, you get into this mini mini trough, this mini well that can be, can be super salient to people... Uh, uh, on on very specific triggers, like the sound of a car backfiring, for example. Yeah? That's a typical example. Now, what is the idea of EMDR? Basically, it's just trying to distract you, doing something else, and therefore uh, desensitizing the input a little bit, allowing you to um, experience the input without the immediate stress reaction. And by just doing this over and over again, you're sort of trying to bring the homeostat or the thermostat down, right, on this particular circuit. Right. So, you know, you mentioned supervised learning. One of the things that sort of has given me a sense of supervised, of me being the supervisor of my learning experience yes. is uh, meditation. So, like, mm. I, I've been doing, I've been, I've been meditating for years now. Yeah. And it's really helpful in the sense that I'm sure it helps on a, on a day-to-day and like a normal basis as well. Mm-hmm. But when I have a really stressful experience or when something anomalous is happening, yeah. I have trained this ability to now to be like, to 
I immediately go into like a over the like a eighty thousand foot like a out overview. of bo- overview. Yeah. It's like okay, this is happening. Breathe through it. Yeah, relax. Right, it's gonna be okay. Yeah. Like I, the most salient example of that was two years, twenty nineteen, uh, twenty nineteen something. Right before, I, right before I started this, I got kicked out of my house. Yeah. With like no warning, right? Basically. Uh, Big surprise. Like so. And like it was a it was a bad situation and this guy just sort of who is my uncle by the way showed up and started breaking down the wall in my house right ouch and i was i had just like i was like so in that moment i was like so imagine that moment right it's like i just came from i just came home from the gym yeah and i was like what <laughs> what the what is happening right now right yeah. my parents were afraid and i was like but in that moment I I had this like sense of I had this I had this feeling of like I was watching myself in yeah. that moment. Yeah. And I and I sort of dealt with that in a as well as I could have dealt with it, right? So that so so that no one got lost their mind and got hurt and like I handled it the best I could until the cops came and like tried to solve this out, right? Yeah. And that sort of bites me in the ass now in some other ways. So when I'm with people, especially in relationships, let's say, right? The number one, if I had to take my relationships yes, and take a principal component analysis <laughs> and get the first component of like the most, uh, the, the biggest re- biggest problems that I have. Yeah. The biggest problem I've been criticized for is apparently I am cold. Not in the moment. Yeah, right? Because I, because... I don't react to the 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 emotional sort of output mm-hmm. that people tend to give in a, in a in a heated situation. It's like I don't know if it's just my where I am, but like, it's just like I I'm, I just sort of I look at it and think, okay, this is a thing that's just happening. How yeah. should I, I? I'm able to be like, okay, how should I react to this? And then yeah. react differently. Whereas most people seem to be just like a little more coupled to the output. It's like, okay. It's just a, it's like all I've accomplished after years of, medica- years of meditation is being able to put a slight delay between perception and reaction. Yes. Right? And that's that seems alien to most people. It's like, it's like this is happening. So I'm like, okay, cool. Just even not even just having that pause has been super helpful so yeah. i can so i can sort of say okay what am i supposed to do here and i always think of my actions in a way i think of it as reinforcement learning i think okay if i do this now this yeah. is this is the this is the training that i'm giving to my brain to make it do easier later yeah so um i mean you know about there there's like these subcortical systems that are mostly intuitive and automatic uh, dealing with emotion, and then there's sort of the uh, the cortical systems that are mostly control systems, right? And training yourself to take this pause uh, gives your gives your cortex uh, the opportunity to catch yeah, up. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Because uh, because of those those loops are uh, also slower than uh, the fast process that goes through your amygdala to your hypothalamus, and then it's like yeah, blah, do something. Yeah, yeah. Um I think it's some it's it's a, a process that can be trained 
So it's like your executive function that you're strengthening as a muscle, uh, impulse control. We know that people can dif can differ a lot in, on impulse control based on their brain chemistry. I read this amazing quote. It's like, uh, uh, what you do when you don't have to determines what you do when you have no choice. Yeah. Right? That's Well, that's about making habits then yeah, again, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same, it relates back to your story about the um, traffic light. So if you make it a habit to never cross when it's red, then the chances that you're doing it inadvertently when you're not paying attention uh, is much lower. So you're making it safer for your future self as well. Because this is the rule, you never break it, and that's going to help you at some point yeah, in yeah, the future. Yeah. Like, um, that's that's sort of like the... Uh, uh, like, sort of the, the strategy I take, for example, for studying, right? Mm -hmm. So I try to... so. I guess I study. I try. To, I try to study consistently over the semester. Yes. So that I, when it comes to exam time, when I have to study, it's not a. It's not a, like, yeah. what it's like. It's on the plus side. I study consistently. Yeah. On the that has its own benefits. All benefits. Yeah. And the, on the other side, when I have to really go take it to like to take it to eleven. Yeah. I don't. It's not a. It's not that extra strain because I'm. Because I've been doing it over Fair and enough. over and over again. And probably you also have to do less. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So it's it's, it's like a, it's, it, talk about uh, nonlinear, like uh, re reward on reward on reward on it's compounding interest. Compounding right? interest, exactly. Yeah. Okay. You're being very friendly to your future self. How does the brain deal with compounding interest stuff? Um, we're very bad at judging slow processes, drift, because the brain is constantly adjusting for it. So, you know, you can really get lost in trying to follow a pitch if it's going up very slowly and then suddenly it's something else. There is also these uh, um, visual illusions where, you know, then things in the background change very, very, very gradually and you don't see them because mm -hmm. you're paying attention to the high frequency thing. Have you, I'm sure you've seen that. Uh, the monkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that really. That, the bear, yeah. That, that, so the people who haven't seen it, it's like, this illusion where people are passing a basketball around and, you, and you're told to count how many times the yeah. basketball is being passed between people. Yeah. And a fully-sized human being in a gorilla suit walks right through the thing and bangs his chest and walks away and you, just, you completely miss it. You don't, most yeah. people don't see that happening. So I think that is mostly selective attention because your attention is really drawn to a very high-frequency detail, this little ball that's being passed around, and you don't see the rest. And that can happen also on the road, for example. You don't really notice what's going on on the sides. This gradual change is something else because you're definitely paying a, paying less focused attention, but because the rate of change is so so low, you don't really see it happening and that's, unless someone points it out and then you see it immediately. Or if it loops around and then you connect back to the color it used to be and you think like, what just happened? Yeah, right? yeah, Everything yeah. is green now. Yeah. Uh, same, of course, applies with uh, color correction uh, and, and brightness and intensity correction when you're uh, just outside. It's very gradual. But if you're going from the inside to the outside, you experience this overload. Um, yeah. Damn. So I think so, like I said, fair to say that... Th so you, want, you made a distinction, di distinction between habitual learning yes. and learning factual... Goal-directed also. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, so so basically habit learning and, and so this is about knowledge, what you were saying. There is habitual knowledge, knowing how to do things, and there's declarative knowledge, facts. Why, what's, why the distinction? 
because they're stored differently. Okay. So habits are stored at the level of the basal ganglia, basically, uh, in the motor cortex, motor systems, whereas declarative knowledge is is stored uh, in the neocortex. You know, like a scene is made up by sounds, uh, smells, whatever, textures, everything, and they have their own representation in the brain, and they're being bound together through the hippocampus. So the hippocampus basically makes the initial connections between the components, stores those, and can actually also retrieve them. So reactivate those individual component act, uh, components that make up a scene or a memory or um, a fact, basically. So it's different. They're, they're stored in different places. They are dissociable. Uh, so that means that you know there's patients that can do one thing but not the other and another group that has the exact opposite pattern which means that it's localized in the brain to different regions. Is it more expensive energetically to learn habits, that build habits, than it is to learn factual information? I feel like factual information, you've got to keep refreshing that yes. to, keep, to keep, it in your, keep it in your brain. The point is that um, you learn new things during the day, and those are stored in short-term buffers, basically, uh, through the hippocampus. And then at night you are consolidating those experiences. Oh, man, sleep. sleep. Sleep is a whole... Oh, that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing, right? Yeah. Man, it's crazy. Like, um, uh, so what, uh, apparently your brain modulates the amount of deep sleep and REM sleep by a little bit, depending on the content, the how your day turned, how your day was. How much surprise yeah, yeah, yeah. there was in your day. Yeah. How, your, how, how, how your day went beforehand. It's yeah. nuts. Also, maybe the amount of stress, cortisol, has a definitely has a big effect for on sure. that. For sure, yeah. Like one thing I've noticed, like for example, is I've learned, I, I've realized, maybe like it took three years of, to realize this, but like when I'm trying to understand something, right? So some, so like give an example is recently I was just trying to build a neural network, yeah, from scratch, yeah, with just NumPy, and I was like, okay, how the hell do I do this? Right, just following the equation, just like yeah, sure, yeah. here's the equation, and it was really hard, right? Yeah. But um, what I realized, but like I spent all day banging my head against this, all day, yeah. nine, literally nine hours. Oh yeah. Went to sleep, got up in the morning, like I sat in my computer twenty minutes. I was like, oh yeah, I got this. No, that makes sense. And I was like, man. Yeah. So the the, the right reaction is why didn't I figure this out yesterday? The right reaction is, of course, you did figure it out, figure it out, just figure it out yesterday. Your brain needed the, the eight connections hours. were not there. Yeah, because so the the best experiment of this is like they recorded the the brain of mice as they learned a maze. Yeah, and then they let the mouse go to sleep, and then they played back the yeah the sound. Yeah, and um, it was like the same pattern, but in like. 10x speed exactly because the brain works a lot faster than when you're actually walking yeah that's around. crazy right so when you're so like when you're awake your brain is also coupled to your motor output system yes right which has to work in a much lower slower time scale yeah than the than the neural firing exactly so your brain is like rare reviewing that in high speed yeah it's crazy but you have to put in the work like the matrix but you have to put yeah, in yeah, the yeah, work. yeah yeah that's the thing right it's not for free yeah it's not for free you have to put in the work first and then at night, it's like, okay, I got this. So let me tell you one more thing. I think maybe it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing to tie this all together. Yeah. Because what is the function of sleep? A lot of things, right? But I don't know. Like, I feel like you have a point here. <laughs> sleep is essentially also a homeostatic process. 
So what you're doing during the day is that you're learning new things continuously and basically you're strengthening your synapses. So all of this activity is making new connections and you know that also goes rapidly. So something that is new is basically strengthening a synapse more strongly than something that is already there because there's no need to further increase. Right? Also homeostasis. So basically you're filling up your sensor banks, you're filling up your buffers with all this new information. But what about tomorrow? You want to learn something tomorrow, right? So what is happening during sleep is a process called synaptic scaling. All of your synapses are turbocharged during the day. What sleep is doing is basically scaling everything down. And the things that were upregulated enough, those maintain. The things that were stimulated but were not super relevant, those actually get washed away. So it is implementing signal-to-noise filtering. It is pre-whitening your brain for tomorrow. And it's selectively keeping active those learned connections that, you know, were probably relevant. So if you wake someone up who has been downhill skiing all day in the middle of the night and ask them, what are you thinking of right now? It's all of the times that they fell on their face. Because <laughs> that's arguably the most relevant thing to learn from downhill skiing is how to not fall on your face. Right, 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 right. And I also, I, I've had the experience where if I'm, so the, you, the sleep towards the end of the night is more REM sleep than towards the other parts of the night. And I noticed that if I sometimes, if I, get wake up, if I get woken up during my REM sleep, I'm super depressed. Like I feel really sad. Like mm-hmm. and um, it persists for a little while, for a while, because like apparently the REM sleep is where you're sort of doing like a like a self therapy situation where it's like you're, you're just playing through all this all this stuff. Yeah, it's like your generative model that is being so basically your your brain functions in pattern retrieval mode, and whatever random information is flying around, it activates patterns. And through associative networks, it activates other patterns. So your your GAN is basically <laughs> serving you up whatever is uh, its prompt was. Right, right. The right. prompt being like a distributed electrical activation. Yeah. And that's also why if you give someone a smell during their sleep, this can actually trigger oh, yeah, memories, yeah. right? You're, yeah, you can like, so if, you, uh, if you're studying and you have a certain smell, like aroma during when you're studying and you go, and you go to sleep, and you play that, uh, so not study, but memory. Yeah. You play that, you, you reintroduce re- that smell or sound, it increases the recall of that thing you were trying to learn when you're... Yeah, it seems, seems plausible. So you can bias your... But like I tend... So I was thinking about, should I bias my sleep towards certain things? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to let my brain figure that out. Yeah, it's probably smart. Right? I was like, I'm not playing with that game. Like, like let, it, let, let, it, let it work through the things you need to work through. I'll put the work in and then let sleep do its thing. Yeah. Otherwise you get like super smart Udesh, like emotionally yeah, a mess. A mess completely. <laughs> like I know all the, I, I know every, 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 every little detail about a neuron can't hold a conversation to save my life. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Let's leave it there. Huh? Yeah. Almost 90 minutes. That was awesome. Awesome. All right. Thanks again, Brian. Very we welcome. Should, we should definitely do this. Next time I'll come up with a different thing to talk about. Sounds brain. good. And we'll figure it out. There's a lot of neurobiological uh, frontiers that we can still explore. Oh, absolutely. For sure. All right. Thanks. See you later. Bye.
This has been another episode of the One Deeper Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Catch you on the next one.